I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Listen up, dear listeners in the UK. There's a brand new guitar show this year, the Brighton Guitar Show. It's a one-day show happening on the 15th of July at the Brighton Racecourse, and it's going to be great. We'll be there along with loads of your favourite boutique and major brands like Two Notes Audio Engineering, Chapman Guitars, Fidelity Guitars, Thought B Effects, Pedal Patch, Bright Onion Pedals, Ranger Effects, NRG Effects, Great Eastern Effects, Iverson Guitars, Kurt Mangan Strings, Maybury Lake. And lemon audio Xander circuitry and loads and loads more what more excuse do you need to come to sunny brighton the birthplace of guitar nerds than a guitar show full of guitars pedals effects and accessories come say hi hang out have a beer and check out all the cool gear with matt jd and i you might even see a few of the og guitar nerds hosts knocking about for tickets visit brightonguitarshow.co.uk or check them out on social media with Brighton Guitar Show. See you there. Here at Guitar Nerds, we're big fans of Isotope Software and their impressive range of plugins. And you, dear listener, get 10% off all Isotope plugins at isotope.com with discount code NERDS10. Every Guitar Nerds podcast for well over five of its ten years has been edited, polished and repaired using Isotope's wonderful range of tools. From their nectar suite to EQ, compress and lightly add reverb to give the impression that Matt and I are in the same room, to the RX repair suite to deal with pops, clicks and background noise. In fact, every sound sample that you hear on our podcast is mastered using Isotope's Ozone Mastering Suite, and I can even compare audio, EQ and levels to other similar released material using Isotope's Tonal Recall. It's all very good, and believe it or not, there are a bunch of free plugins that you can try. A vinyl simulator for added character, the Ozone Imager for help visualising your stereo mix, and a vocal doubler for added richness and depth to your vocals. Pretty neat. Check it all out at isotope.com. Brad, I, um, I've been going to a, a therapist recently, and um, today my therapist told me, I have problems expressing my emotions. Really? I can't say I'm surprised. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it wasn't great. I picked it. I picked it in a rush. I'm sorry. I apologize. Hello, dear listener. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Guitar Nerds podcast. I am your host, Joe Branton, joined this week for the first time by Brad Page. Brad, hello, and welcome to the podcast. Dr. Branton, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. No, yes, well, it's 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 excellent to to get you aboard. Now, Brad, uh, you, Brad, you've been like a, a podcast listener for a, a long time, but you also have your own podcast. And mm-hmm. you you reached out to me recently, I think, when I was talking about. Oh, I was saying it would be nice to have more than two people on a podcast episode, and we we planned this to have you, me, and Matt do this podcast today. And then this morning, Matt called me and said he he'd uh, tested positive for COVID. Awful, which I don't Awful. think is well, an excuse. Our, yeah. our thoughts are with. Uh, Professor Knight. We'll, we'll miss him. I will miss him. It would have been a pleasure to talk to him, but it's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for, oh, for having me on. Yes, uh, I've been listening to the show since it was the original Four Musketeers. Oh, um, yes. uh, I've, uh, wow, I've been a sponsor for a while. For, I think, the yeah. first year, you pleasured in calling me uh, Brad Pitt when you would read my name. Is, I remember uh, that. Yeah. Back in the day when you could do them all in one breath. In one breath. Yeah. No, I don't I don't think I could I don't think I could do that anymore. I mean also like the 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 list got relatively long and it became it became quite difficult. Also I think I did that every episode for something like 2 years and mm-hmm. it was uh, I was worried I needed to think of something else to do. <laughs> but yes, that was good. For listeners who who don't who don't know back you know, back when there were four podcast hosts. I think I I don't even think I was hosting back then. I think uh, the original uh Gitano's podcast host Mark Packham was uh was that's the right. Host, and I was, I was just a. You were like what we foil. would call color commentary, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I had to do so much less work. I just turned up. Mark provided me with like the notes of what we were going to talk about. I didn't have to keep an eye on time or making sure I hit certain subjects at certain points in the episode. I could just. I, well, well, mostly drink. I mean, now, now I'm actually drinking an alcohol-free beer. I'm drinking an Erdinger. Which is a, a refreshing isotonic drink, according to them, and it is rather good, dear listener. Well, I have my Coke Zero. I'm a I'm a right. teetotaler, well, yes. so that's as harsh it's, as it's I also get. much earlier in the day for you. So, uh, that's, yeah. uh, <laughs> so that makes more sense. But um, but yes, yeah, so so Brad, uh, we're going to talk. Brad, you you've you know. I read all your about stuff on your podcast's website, mm-hmm. and you. You obviously you have a, a a a decent collection of guitar gear, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the things that you like. When we spoke about doing this episode before, you were talking about m- maybe we could discuss the things that uh, Matt and I are less likely to talk about. I think you've got some some tastes that are maybe a little different from ours, so it'd be cool to explore some of those. So we're going to do we're going to do that, dear listener, today. As well as we're going to try and talk about the topic of the week for something like the third week in the row in a row. Rob Nordvik's uh, selection of topics or discussion points. Um, I've, I've kind of pinned the idea of discussing the evolution of guitar gear from analog to digital, and then maybe like. You know, well, I guess analog to digital, back to analog, and then back to digital again, or however that's occurred. Yeah, well, I always say the decades. trends uh, are – the time doesn't move forward in a straight line. It's right. it's uh, a spiral, right? And we're always yeah. touching back 
on things as we move forward, we touch back, which is why bell bottoms come back in fashion, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, yeah, you at some point, uh, rack gear will, will be a thing. Wonder, yeah. um, as will eight track tapes probably so oh see i could get behind that i could get behind eight track tapes coming back i think it would be awkward for them too because every everyone's obsessed with portability and mm-hmm. i can't see that changing so that's my concern for for rack gear but we'll see we're, we're going to come on to that later anyway let's talk um let's talk first of all about uh your podcast because dear listener this is a podcast that that you know everyone um should be checking out um the i'm in love with that song uh podcast right. which is which you can you can find on love that song podcast.com you can you know obviously dear listen you can just tap it into whatever your podcast provider is and find it there mm-hmm. uh, i mean tell me a little bit about the podcast and how you came to do it and, and what it is what you discuss sure well um yeah so the name of the podcast is i'm in love with that song uh it, the website is lovethatsongpodcast.com, but we're on Spotify and Amazon and Pandora and pretty much every source out there. You can find the show if you look for us. The, what I do on the show is I pick a song and we kind of take it apart and try to understand all the little elements. We don't get into music theory because I'm just, I'm not that guy. Right. Um, but we talk about uh production and arrangement and performances. And, and really it's about trying to, for me, it's about trying to understand why do I like this song so much? Why does this song really work for me as opposed to other songs that are forgettable? I don't talk about the forgettable ones, but I talk about the songs (laughs) that I love, uh, hence the name of the show. Um, so we do uh, a little bit of history about the artist and how the song came to be and the record that it's on. And then we kind of go into isolating the tracks, listening to just the vocal tracks or just the bass or whatever, and, and then sort of putting it back together. But it's, it's really about um, just understanding, trying to discover that, that special magic, that little bit of mojo that's, that yeah. makes a, a song great uh and we try to span multiple genres um yeah i'll do uh you know old school r&b i'll do classic rock i'll do a little bit of uh, you know 80s stuff it kind of depends i really don't go much past 1990 it does happen but not I that think, often I mean, most there's of it's very pre- little good music written past that point so well that's, that's fine <laughs> that's that's exactly why. Again, the name of the show is <laughs> I'm in love with that song. I have to really feel passionately about the song. Absolutely. So, you know, Absolutely. I mean, you had a couple of crackers recently. You had um, uh, The Camera Eye by Rush. Yes. Highway yeah, Stone that's one I wanted two. to do for a while. Absolutely. We really dove yeah. into that one. Um, the current uh, episode is Thin Lizzy's Dancing in the Moonlight. Uh, the, yes. the next episode uh, will be uh, Gary Moore episodes so i know he's oh, amazing a, he's a favorite on this podcast so right check that check those out but yeah um you know i read a book years ago um this is going to sound pretentious but um i read this book years ago about the role that dogs play in uh in war and search and rescue um right and to really understand a dog's role the first you have to understand how a dog's sense of smell works because that's that's their tool right 
And they talked about how, you know, for, for us as people, if, if I walked into a room with a cheeseburger, you could probably smell it and say, well, that smells like a cheeseburger. You might even be able to say, oh, it smells like a McDonald's cheeseburger. But a dog can smell all the individual elements, right? They, they can tell if there's mustard and ketchup on there. Are there onions? They could probably smell the fat content of, of the beef, right? <laughs> so they get all the individual pieces. And so what I try to do on the show is to get people to listen with your ears the way a dog smells with its nose, to, to, to hear all those individual elements beyond just a song, but to get all those little pieces that, that really make a song special. Anyway, that's, that's my pretentious that's answer for the show. No, no, that's a, that's that's no, that's an excellent way of looking at it. I find that sometimes I think when I listen to music I tend to uh, you know I I I think I automatically listen to the guitar or more often than not the bass mm -hmm. is a real focal point. I especially listen to what effects are being played. Mm -hmm. But I find sometimes when you hear a song from maybe when I was younger that that I liked when I was younger and less geeky, I I almost listen back to them now and being like, "Oh, I had no idea there was flanger on right. this song, or I didn't know the bass was doing that. But just because you only ever listen to the whole part, right. I think so many people do. It's a, almost a curse of being a, a guitarist. That yeah, will... and you know, there's there's a danger of that of of only listening to the thing that you're interested in. Uh, as we all know, right. guard, guitar players who only listen to the solo and don't care about anything else, right? <laughs> so you don't want to go too far down that road. And I, I, that, that's not the goal of the show. It's just to understand, like a good chef, uh, whatever it is that you're cooking, you got to get all the right ingredients and you got to understand those ingredients um, so that, you know, the end result is a, is a tasty meal, but there's also a certain pleasure in really being able to detect or understand all those little bits and pieces that went into making that great meal. So anyway, that's, that's kind of what the show is about. It's, it's diving into one song at a time. Uh, you, the episodes usually run 20 to 30 minutes, so they're short, they're bite-sized, I like a bite-sized podcast, you know, yeah. I, I rarely have a commute that lasts an hour. Um, mm -hmm. you, you, well, I mean, you know, thinking about, uh, we talked about when Mark, uh, you know, early guitar notes where Mark was running, Mark listens to a couple of podcasts that are like two and a half, three hours in, in runtime. And he was, he was pushing us to, to do longer format episodes. And I was like, I don't I just don't think I could stay interested for that amount of time on a on it's a single a subject. There there are a lot of really long podcasts and there's some that I listen to, but you know, my goal with the show is to do something different than that, to do something that was more kind of a short commute oriented. Right. And I figure most people uh, twenty to thirty minutes on the road or on the subway or the train or whatever, you can you can knock off one of my episodes in uh in a decent amount of time, I think. Okay. Well, that sounds great. Do check it out, dear please. listener. Yes, yeah, please check it out. I'm in love with that song podcast. Um, it's great. It's Thank great. Give it a listen. But let's so. uh, let's talk about your gear, yeah. Brad. Let's uh, let's talk about that because that's going to get us into the bulk of. Then I, I I like the idea of us taking me out of my comfort zone with equipment. So let's uh, let's talk about the evolution of your gear i guess and and what you've ended up with now it, right now because we're on a video called dear listener you know, you're you're sat in in front of a, a is is that like a a purple heavy relic telecaster it it is um that's my favorite 
guitar that I have. It's it's a parts caster. Uh, it's right. a cherry sunburst with a purple finish over it that's been relicked off. Purple, it's a purple sparkle, you know, metallic uh, finish on top uh, with a, I think it's a Mighty Might neck that's on there. Oh, really? Um, yeah, my evolution of my gear, I mean, when I was, I'm, uh, I grew up in the 70s. Uh, and, uh, I didn't, I never cared about music when I was a kid. It just wasn't my thing. Um, I was a comic book guy, still am. Right. Uh, but of course that was when Kiss was at their biggest and that was the perfect band to transition a comic book guy into <laughs> loving music. Um, and uh, the first thing I missed around was with drums, but I wasn't particularly great at it. But it was a great thing to have as a a root, oh, uh, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. Even though I, you know, never got very far at it, but it's still it's it's buried in there somewhere. An understanding uh, or appreciation of I know lots rhythm. of guitarists who can't count, and it is a it is a problem. Yeah, yeah. and just being able to really feel a groove, I think, is yeah. it, dr- playing drums helps with that. But. Um, we were at, uh, I, I was at a, this is, I was in seventh grade, I think, summer between seventh and eighth grade. And we were at a flea market, which you guys call them boot sales or something. Uh, yeah, boot fair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like we call them flea Car markets. Boot sale. Yeah. Here, just a bunch of people selling junk on a table. Right. And we, I was with my mother and we walked by one table and there was this guitar and I, and I caught my eye and she asked about it. And the woman said, 10, can I have it for 10? And she said, okay. And I thought, I, no, because to me, it looked, What I didn't know anything about guitars. I thought it could be $10,000. You know, it looked like an expensive <laughs> guitar. And she was like, $10, right? And yeah, 10 bucks. So my mom bought this guitar for me. But it's probably the... One of the, it's one of those key moments in my life that I think she probably regretted immediately. Um, <laughs> but um, it was a blackjack uh, knockoff a of blackjack. a Gretsch country gentleman. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, so I it's a, you know, it's a Japanese, no name, right. pretty much piece of junk, um, which ironically so enough. So is it like a bolt on? Is yes. it like a bolt on version oh, yeah. of a kit? Yeah. So it's like that, that sort yeah. of, they, you got all of those. Uh, like Gibson and Gretsch style guitars out of Japan, but they're all bolt on. Exactly. Um, I've never seen anything else by this particular company, but oddly enough, of course it was long. The original was long gone. Uh, But about two years ago, one popped up on on reverb and I bought it. Yes. So I could have my Wait. first guitar again. And I paid how much for that? Oh, uh, <laughs> 60 times what I originally paid for it. <laughs> That's the thing. That's the thing. Anything from the 70s or even into the 80s that was made in Japan now, it's all getting so expensive. It's, it's even crazy. From a couple and, of years ago, when I was selling like Greco and, and Tokai stuff, that was. Yeah, the, I I think I was selling like the average Greco thing for five seven hundred, and now they're they're all over a grand. It's yeah, Japan. it's crazy. I mean, I don't know that I could just say it's really worth <laughs> that money. It's, it's a, it was a pure nostalgia 
purchase. But it's just kind of cool to have your very first guitar again, um, even though it's not That's the actual one, but it's it's basically the one. Um, I mean, it is cool if it's a cool guitar. Like, and that that sounds like a cool vibey. It's just so you know, weird, that, right? Like, what yeah. a thing to make a knockoff. It must have been made in the '60s when the Beatles were, right. you know, uh, and people were buying Gretches and whatnot just because. George Harrison played one. Um, yeah. But uh, it's it's playable. Not yeah. great, but it's playable. But anyway, that Just was my first it. guitar. And then after that, I, uh, I had some cheapo Les Paul knockoff. And then... Not a bolt on this time. Yes, another one. Yep. No name. Another bolt on. <laughs> yep, yep. Right, okay. Uh, which I think everyone should start with crappy guitars. That oh, would yeah. be my advice to every parent buying a guitar for a kid. Buy them something cheap and make them yeah, work. see if they, <laughs> you know, make yeah, them, make make, them. <laughs> yeah, make, you got to work. So then, then when you finally do get a great guitar, you appreciate it a lot more. That actually stays. I wish time. mine had been as cool as yours, to be honest. You know, like uh, the, the first thing I started on was a, just a Squire Affinity. So there's less, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't feel any special need to buy that again. Right. Um, I hear that. But, yeah. Well, the net, the next thing is I got, um, I started playing in bands almost immediately, even before I could really play. Um, right. so I kind of we learned all- to play with other people to the point this, t- to this day where I just don't really like playing by myself. Um, uh-huh. I, it, to me, the fun, the thrill is in the interaction with other, other musicians, but <clears throat> I got an offer to join the, the best band quote unquote best band in my high school, which, you know, it's not saying much. Um, but the, the gig was I had to play bass half the time. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile. We like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And they were all like, I was, I don't know, in 10th grade and they were seniors so they were older and so inevitably i got into the band and within a month i was just the bass player <laughs> the, the sharing the guitar went away um oh, it happens to the best of us yeah but again another great learning experience playing bass for a couple of years um taught me a lot about playing with a drummer and 
finding your place in with other musicians. Um, yeah. But I had a, I bought a, uh, an Ibanez flying V bass that I had for years. <laughs> that looked you, like it's so far, this has been the most ridiculous list of Isn't instruments. It, it's so weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you're a high school kid, right? Just that looks cool. Ibanez flying V. Yeah. Um, so I had that for many years and eventually sold that, but that was my, really my first good instrument. Uh, and then after that, I picked up a Fender, uh, Telecaster, a beat up, uh, Tele custom, you know, with a big fat humbucking pickup, right? A seventies one with the big ugly headstock. Uh, and that gave me a love for Telecasters that I still have for, to this day. That's my probably my my most comfortable guitar for me to play as a telly right did you find a complete move over to because i do find i know everyone has a bit of everything but people tend to be in one camp or the other if you if you like classic instruments obviously modern instruments are a, a whole other, other board game but people tend to be fender or they tend to be gibson don't they i i, I think I, that's probably true i'm not that way entirely, I would say I'm a 60-40 Fender guy traditionally, right. although in the last couple of years, I've really um, kind of migrated to, to Les Pauls. I love Les Paul Customs with the mini humbuckers, that, or Les Paul Deluxes, right? That's Les Paul Deluxe. Oh, right. So I've got a couple of those from the 70s that are really beat up. I could never afford a real nice one, but um, I, I have a couple of those that I, I, I love playing those now. So... You know, but you know, sometimes you swing both ways, as they say. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, every guitar has its own. I mean, it's a cliche, but right, they all feel different, they all sound different, they all make you play different, and that's the magic of, of course, them. exactly. Absolutely. The, the thing I, I like to try and work out what actually is a, a favorite guitar is my, my office here is relatively small. Brad and, and dear listener, mm. and uh, and I have to record like lots of little demo things for e either for guitar nerds or maybe it's something for KMA pedals. I have to make a couple of videos for them a week, or maybe it's something for Ashdown. And I have to build a backing track for some bass, and so I find I think I'm working out what my favorite guitar is here because it's the one that I pick up and don't think about and play it, and I don't need to go, oh, that guitar's not quite right for this punk mm. song or this. It, you know r&b song it just works and the the guitar that consistently works in every single application is the the harmony juno that i've mm -hmm. got i mean it also helps that it's small and convenient and sits next to my sure. desk but it, that that i think it um i'd love it to be something much cooler i i, I the juno's pretty cool. cool i guess something more classic i'd love it to be you know the the 58 reissue les paul or you know one of the tellies out there or something but no it's it's the harmony juno they're just gold foil p90s mm -hmm. two of them that's it that's that's all you that's all you need you get everything everything out of those i record heavy metal on that guitar mm -hmm. and it sounds good yeah the telly that uh that's sitting behind me that you mentioned that's like i said that's a parts caster i put that thing together myself it's got the fishman fluence uh oh, yeah. greg cock gristle master whatever they call them telly pickups in them and i love those things and they are super so versatile good. yeah 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 i should have i should have bought the um the reverend uh greg cock that i borrowed i uh i i borrowed it from merchant city music and when i sent it back to them it um 
it got damaged in Ooh. in transit, and they were they were <laughs> much much less fond of uh, sending me anything else yeah. after that. So, <laughs> which Bummer. which was totally fair enough. Scotland to the southeast was a long way for something to travel. But yeah, th- those pickups, super articulate, still sound just like a telly, but I feel mm-hmm. like they give you the ability to do a bit more a few other times. Also. It's important to have things like that. If if you use big pedal boards, if you play shows with loud amps, those Fishman fluents, they're going to be silent. You know, you're not going to have to deal with all that right. horrible harmony. Yeah, you get no, that, that's exactly that. right. They, I, I would, I highly recommend them because everything you said, they, they still sound like a telly, but there's a little something else in there uh, yeah. that that makes them just for me. I mean, everyone's different, but for me, I find them extremely versatile for a telly setup um so that that's kind of my my go-to guitar which is why it's do you, do you use the switch much the no additional switch, i leave the it 50s in the to 60s i forget which one i leave it in uh the hotter one <laughs> um, <laughs> right, right but yeah i pretty much just leave it there but um it just it sounds great it sounds great through a lot of pedals uh, I have a few different amps. It sounds great through all of them. It's it's just a real workhorse guitar. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes, they are fantastic. Telly's rule. Um, uh, I've only got one at the moment, which is terrible. I need to rectify that at some point soon. Um, let's talk about amplifiers then. Mm-hmm. Where 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 are you sitting in the amp world? What's your what's your flavor? Well, you know, I've been over the course of playing. I've dabbled in some uh modeling amps and stuff but really i'm a tube amp guy it's just it's who i am (laughs) we're all from that you know i think we're all coming back around to that um but it's uh my main amp is a uh dr z maz 18 oh very nice uh, that yeah uh love that amp that sounds great uh i also have a uh, a supro um what is it uh I forget which, what they call that. Which, um, what grill cloth is it? Is it the, is it just a silver one with the blue chassis? Yeah. It's like a stage master, um, right. statesman. God. Statesman. Yeah. Oh. It's the head and uh, 112 combo that I have or head oh, and cool. 112 cap. Um, and I use that a lot, but the Dr. Z is the go-to. Um, I have a Katana. That's hey, just, uh, there you, you go. Know, yep. Um, and uh, a Vox AC15. That before I got the Doctor Z, that was that was the one I used the most. But um, no, I love that Doctor Z. It was you know not an not an inexpensive amp, but well worth it. Uh, right. Great. Yeah. Oh, are they? I always thought of them as being quite expensive, but but I haven't really looked at the the price of a of the Doctor Z Maz 18s. They it's are not cheap. they are great. I know that Matt loved them. You know, yeah. But um but it's it's to me it's an amp that could do everything. I really don't need, you know, the other amps. Um for my purposes, it would be uh it would be the amp that I would use. But you know, of course you have to have more than one, right? Because that's who that's <laughs> who we are. That's one it. Is never yeah, enough exactly. of anything. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, actually, we, we I was we were moving stuff around in my garage uh, the other day, and I found a, a Vox AC10, which I, I'm sure I knew I had, but I forgot that I owned. And I was ah, oh, fantastic. This uh, these, these amps are great, but it, 
you know, the AC10 is an absolutely brilliant amplifier, but I seem to have a plethora of those like small amps that are good for a small gig or maybe home use. Mm-hmm. But I have lots of them, and really, you only need one of them in your home. Yeah. So yeah. Well, that's, be- uh, behind me here, I have a, a positive grade Spark. That's ah, just yes. for you know noodling. Sometimes it's yeah. you don't necessarily want to fire up the tube amp and wait for it to get warm and plug your pedals in and all that stuff. If you're just trying to figure out a quick little part or something, so yeah. I have that for that. But I really like the Spark actually for what it's, it is. Uh, it's great and it's way louder yeah. than I thought it would be. It's yeah. yeah, it's got some guts to it. the the common The common criticism of the Spark, I think, is that it has uh, quite a lot of uh, sort of flubby low end. Um, I, I mean, I, I guess you know it's a, a full range kind of amp that's designed to deal with bass as well as guitar. It's going to have some characteristics that aren't ideal, but I think it was great. The thing I found with the Spark is I can't be bothered to get my phone out and pick a load of stuff every time mm. I. I want to use the amplifier, but I worked out pretty quickly that you could just save two sets. So I have one setting that is, you know, like a, a, a basement style mm-hmm. amp with a bunch of reverb. And that's, that's fine. That's all I need for guitar. And then another one that's like an SVT style bass amp. So with a compressor on it, so I can plug a bass in and sound okay. And once I'd save those onto the amplifier itself, and you can just toggle between the two and you don't right. need to get your phone out then I'm like, ah, this is great. This is how I want this amp to work. I get a bit of option paralysis with the all the... Oh, I totally... Every, everything I, connects with a phone these days, and I just... I, can't I totally it. hear that, um, and uh, I, I do the same thing. I have a couple of settings in there, and that's it. Because, again, I'm not using it for anything other than just, like, figuring something out or, or capturing yeah. a quick idea or something. That's not... I'm not recording with it. I'm not looking for the perfect tone it's just there for a quick little noodle um so yeah i I don't i don't uh, really want to be messing with that's that's the whole danger of a lot of this digital stuff in digital workstations and and stuff that you do miss back in the day when you just had a four track cassette right because you could just hit literally hit play record and get something now you got to boot up your computer and you got to wait for the app and by the time you get to have it's sort of like you forgot what it was you were going to record in the first place um yeah. so i've tried to surround myself with little gadgets and doohickeys to to be more immediate at capturing ideas right um I have one of those uh, little isotope. What were the things that you were using? I wondered I f- if you were going to mention it. The um, uh, oh, I tell you what, Dan Pilver is is shouting into his uh, microphone right now. The uh, yeah, I've got uh, one right here. The Spire. Spire. There we go. Yeah. It's on the tip of my tongue. I, I have mine's right behind me, and yours is right next yeah. to you. So they're really good. They're really really handy. I was I, I thought it was such a shame that Isotope decided to um, discontinue yeah. those because they were. They they were a bit. I mean, it doesn't really matter that they did. I've got it, and it still works. And I can still use it. All the it's still supported by the app and everything like yeah. that. I find I've got one up here and one downstairs in my lounge, which is my main like recording ideas tool. Yeah, in the lounge. That's exactly what I got it for. Is just to be able to have something simple that you could just throw an idea on and yeah. uh, and then move on. Yeah, yeah. But you're totally right about. Um, I wish it was a little bit easier to ca- to capture ideas these days to to do it properly. So on my on my door, I've got like a a preset file that I can duplicate and just open that gives me 
that comes preset up with a new DSP um, Tone King amplifier. And I've got four channels of that, one centrally panned, uh, two panned left and right, and another just doing something with it like a drive channel on. And then there's a bass channel on there. I've got an organ preloaded to a little MIDI keyboard next to me. And there's there's like a, a drum modeler that I can I can open quickly but I've had to build that and save all those things because exactly that exactly what you said I was finding every time I wanted to do this I was like right well I have to set up all these things got to open a document and create these tracks I know we're just talking about clicking a few buttons here but it's probably an extra five ten minutes of getting everything right right and by then that sometimes that little spark of inspiration or whatever is gone (laughs) at least for me um I've sometimes I just, I, what, what was that part? It's already come and gone out of my head. And, uh, but I yeah. suppose, uh, if you're 20 years old and you've grown up with a phone in your hand, um, those kind of things are probably not the burden that, that we see them as, cause you're probably on that phone 24 seven anyway. So, you know, yeah. it's not that difficult to, uh, I don't know pull up an app and throw an idea down on your phone but you know me being an old fart it's just not my (laughs) it's not my uh first go-to inclination so i see fair enough okay okay so we've got amps covered we've got guitars covered where do we where do you sit brad on effects you're a big effects guy uh, you, do you keep things simple? Uh, um, i'm kind of in between um i do have um I think a fairly decent pedal board. I have one of those Friedman Tour Pros. It's the 1525. So it's the not the biggest, not the smallest, the middle one of those Friedman. I, I really like oh, yeah. those pedal boards. Just real solid yeah, metal. Yeah, they're good, aren't they? Yeah, they're tiered rather than angled, uh, which I like. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a you've got a little raised bit that you can move around for a for a volume pedal, right. an expression yep. pedal. Yep, I've got it's really handy. Yeah, you've got, got the little f- through box. Built into the side as well yes. for your ins and outs. Yep, yep. I, with the buffer, so I have that on there. Um, let's see. On the board right now is, uh, of course, there's the Boss TU3W. Yes. Uh, the fancy schmancy tuner. Um, the Wazacraft version. Everyone yeah. should get one, dear listener. The main I, reason I why I got it actually it. is because that one you can turn the buffer off, and because the pedal right. board has the buffer already in it, I didn't need to. Uh-huh. Uh, then I have a Digitech Freakout. Do you know that pedal? Uh, it's Digitech a feedback generator, oh. basically. <laughs> um, so you, right. <laughs> you can, yeah, um, which you can get some interesting sounds out of that, um, which is kind of neat. And then I have one of the newer uh, MXR Poly Blue Octaves. Uh, They're great. Then I have this little uh, mini pedal. Uh, Matt Knight's favorite format. Um, I can't even remember who makes it, but it's called a Silver Horse. It's like a $30 claw, uh, claw knockoff. Right. And it sounds great. I think it's one of the ones, I think I heard it on um, you know, one of the JHS shows or something. Like, right. Uh, and it really does sound great. Um, then I have a... Um, Oh, who makes it? Um, a King Tone Duelist, which is a uh, a dual drive. And that replaced, uh, believe it or not, 
a uh, king of tone. Really? What did I you do with the king of tone? Sold well, it, made some money? Well, long story, uh, I bought a prince of tone, which I loved, really loved, and had that on the pedal board for a long time, and, and I loved it so much, I ordered a king of tone and waited, like everyone, I waited like three years to get it. Um, and that lived on my board for quite a while, but when they were going on eBay for like $900, I didn't love it that much. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so I, it, yeah, it took a little bit of back and forth, but eventually I, I sold it for $900. That is uh, that is a crazy amount of money. Yeah, you took advantage it, of the market, losing its mind. Right. This is I mean, I paid two hundred and fifty dollars for it, or something. I can't remember what I paid when it was. But um, so then I was looking for something to replace that, and um, I came across the Duelist, um, which I'm loving. It's not exactly the king of tone. It's a little different, but that's it. But it does exactly what I, I need it to do. So. And I assume that the silver horse is providing the backbone of your overdrive. This is just yeah. That, the silver horse is almost and always on, right? Um, just to provide some grit. I tend to run my amps pretty clean and use uh, the drives for all of the uh, the bite and the right. the balls. Um. Then I have a full tone fat boost that is just there to kick in for leads. Um, I I went around with that. Let's see, God, I had what's the Pigtronics one that you guys used to love? Um, oh, the um, you, nope, the little gone. little. It's another. <laughs> yeah, I had one of those. I had a Keeley Katana boost. Oh, the Class A boost. Yes, the Class yeah, A boost. I, yeah. I tried all those, and they're all great. But I still found that when I kicked them on, they still uh, the sound wasn't still a hundred percent of what it was when the pedal was off. And all I want to do is I want it to be, you know, n degrees louder, uh, right, right. Uh, so that when I'm doing a solo, it's loud enough. And when I'm not soloing, I don't have because I don't like to play with the volume controls on the guitars. I think a guitar sounds best when it's at ten. The, all the knobs on the yeah. guitar are 10. Um, even with treble bleed sort of circuits thing. and all that stuff, I still feel like when you roll them back, I don't like the sound as much. Yeah, it was it was my uh, – the, the reason I couldn't really get behind the Electroharmonics Lizard Queen, not having a not having a fuzz control, having a fixed fuzz amount, and their whole thing was, oh, it's really interactive with your guitar's volume control. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just not something I'm very good at or something I do. Yeah. So I was like, oh, well, maybe this fuzz isn't for me. Same, same here. Um, so eventually I, I found that the full tone fat boost, because it has a little bit of EQ on there, I can pretty much match the, the tone to when it's on and when it's off. So when I kick it on, it really is just however many degrees louder, but not really changing the tone. Uh, then I have a full tone Clyde standard wah, um, and a Chase Tone Golden Secret preamp, which is basically, it's like those EP boosts. It's its the, uh, just the amp section of uh, uh, tape delay, the classic Echoplex oh, tape yeah. delay. And that's, that's always great. on. That's my make gooder always on 
Right. Yeah, this 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 looks cool. So all you get is a little switch. So you get a mid, dark, or bright. So you're just choosing where the push mm-hmm. is and then a volume control on it. That's the whole yeah. thing. And it's that's a total set and forget. It's I never touch it. It's just always on. Right. But it really Wait, you, does. It's do not just it's not just I don't know. I find a lot of those things are like, you know, just sort of they don't really do anything, <laughs> but you convince yourself they do something. Um, yeah, sure. This, it really does. Uh, when when I t- turn it off, uh, I'm immediately uh, uh, disappointed. Everything sounds a bit flat. Yeah, yeah. I really want to have that thing. I love that thing. They're not that I easy to find, but no. um, I, I love that piece. So that's kind of the end of my pedal signal chain. Yeah. But then I also have, um, I typically, if I'm using an amp that has uh, loops or, you know, in and outs, I can, uh, I'll patch my, my, uh, delays and reverbs in there, uh, uh-huh. and have a separate cord that comes out to the pedal board to do that. Um, so that they stay clean. But, um, I have a Terra echo, which I, uh, I, I you guys <laughs> have talked such, about the that. Boss te- the boss Terra echo is such a specific type it's of so cool. Pedal. Yeah, it's <laughs> I mean, weird. It's a great sound. It's weird. It's definitely it's a one trick pony, and it's certainly. I guess no one else has really tried to create a delay pedal that does that sort of thing. It's a very, I don't know, I don't know even how to describe it. It's like a swirly. It's like an auto wah fronted delay. It's uh, yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's kind of one of a kind that that I. I don't really know how you'd explain it. It's a delay plus some weird modulation stuff that goes yeah. on. That also depends on how hard you hit it. So it's very dynamic. Yeah. So um, that's just there to fool around with. And then I just bought uh, an old Blood Noise Reverse. Oh, yes. And These so the Terra Echo at the moment has come off the board and the Reverse has gone on. Because they're both, ah. they're nothing alike, but they're both created. kind of like, you know, odd. Thing. Like you just can't use them that often. Yeah. So I'm kind of debating on which I don't have room on the board to keep both. So it's one or the other. And that's currently the debate that's raging in my head is which one do I want to, you know, keep on, keep on the board. They're both cool, but very limited. Uh, Cause I'm not really an ambient player. Um, right. Right. So, so it's just for a bit of fun. It's or maybe for fun. Yeah. It's for, set. You, right. You, for maybe one moment in a set, you know, um, but and then I uh, I have a Strymon El Capistan for my my delay, uh, my regular tape style delay versus the Terra Echo, which does the weird stuff. And that's yeah, and then yeah. I have a, a New Knobber Immerse Reverb, and that's that's the pedal board, I think. Ah. Well, I mean the the Strymon's an excellent choice on the uh, on the tape style delay. Not not something we talk about enough on the podcast. The the El Capistan really, I guess maybe just because it's been around a long yeah, time, it's... but also because Matt Knight. But the, <laughs> the but it is a but it is a fantastic. It does a great job of tape delay. There's a lot of money for for something that is quite a well trodden path, isn't it? Yeah. Creating and creating a tape style delay and doing it well, like. There's an awful lot of pedals out there that that do a great job of that sort of thing for you know a good hundred bucks less than the, sure. than the Strymon, but um, it is a it is a 
a fantastic pedal. Did you? Is that something you've owned a long time? Because I feel like everyone bought it when it came out, and then I have had it, it for a while, but I didn't buy it when it first came out. I I went through a few different pedals that I could, I can't even remember now, but a few of those uh-huh. types of tape, sure. very you know specific, trying to capture that tape echo sound because that's what I like. Uh, and, uh, this was the one that I eventually settled on just because the feature set, uh, just really met what I wanted. Um, I, st- I still keep thinking about buying one of those, um, the, the T-Rex, um, with the little cartridge. Yeah. yeah. They're really cool. You can get the, there's, they do a, the junior or something as well. The, the, the replicator junior, mm-hmm. it has a few less options, but I, I don't think I really want to do anything super complicated with it. I just love the idea of having a mechanical functioning and you, you tape delay. Um, so the junior would be fine, but they they're, 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 they're a, they're a lot of money, and 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 I, I mean, they go for. I'm looking. I thought oh, I'll look them up. So, what what do replicators go for secondhand? Six hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah, it's nuts. When Which I was, is, what, I don't know at the moment, eight hundred dollars, something like that, seven fifty. That's crazy. When I was a, oh, I don't know, in my in my teens, it would have been around nineteen eighty. Um, a friend of mine, his older brother, had a Watkins copycat that I had the yes. privilege of playing once and it was so such a thrill uh still remember that it's the only time I've ever really played through a tape echo like that and had it we actually barred it for a weekend and I just played with it all weekend long and it was so great I'd love to have something like that but they're so pricey and finicky and you got to take care of them are. and you don't necessarily Do want to lug them around to gigs no. and you know do you get many of them in the states? No, did they, did the it's the only one I've ever seen in the states. Right. Um, uh, you know, the Rolands or uh, uh, Echoplexes and things; those are yeah. rare too. But I've seen those a lot more often than I've seen a Watkins. Of course, the the Watkins copycat. I feel like it's the tape delay that um, uh, that every sort of old boy pub guitarist must have bought in the seventies because eBay is absolutely chocker full of Watkins <laughs> copycats all the time over yeah. here. They, they're starting to pick up in price a little bit because Jay Cross actually owned one of the one of the the older models, which came in like a cream and blue chassis. The later ones came in black and red. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had one of those. It was absolutely fantastic. I think he bought it for next to nothing um, and sold it for something like a, I don't know, like a couple of hundred quid. But you now see... I mean, I'm looking at them now. The most expensive one is fifteen hundred quid, mm-hmm. six fifty, three hundred and twenty, three fifty, five ten. You know, that's that's kind of where they're they're going. And I feel like it's only going to go up, and I am sure. going to regret not getting one. It's uh, maybe maybe the Watkins copycat is the investment I should make. I just feel like the T-Rex replicator offers a similar thing with probably some enhanced reliability. It probably does, but it also lacks that vintage mojo and the vintage appeal, right? I don't think that they will ever be worth what, uh, you know, what a, a, a original classic tape delay would be just for the whole vintage aspect of it. But, um, no. Yeah, it's just, I'm not really mechanically inclined. <laughs> so anything that needs maintenance uh, is probably best if I steer clear. Uh, I see. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I spend, obviously, I spend quite a lot of time looking at 
vintage gear and old stuff. And I, I really like and always have liked affordable old equipment as as well. You know, not just looking at vintage Gibsons and Fenders that I can't possibly afford, but finding all the lovely old gems out there. It's what, what got me into all this sort of seventies Japanese stuff. But I will say, dear listener, if you're that way inclined and you like that sort of stuff, now is the time because everything is just getting more and more expensive. The the everyone's clocked onto it that this is good quality stuff and the prices are only going one way. So you need to make those purchases. You know, I mean, I looked at getting a Roland Space Echo recently. They're upwards of two grand now for yeah. proper 201. And I think Matt bought his. And I remember at the time us thinking that Matt had spent a lot of money on one. And he spent, I don't know, 500 quid, 400 quid, something like that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's getting, it's, yeah. it's just the way of things, right? It's, it's when the 50s and 60s guitars, and I remember when everybody, complained about how crappy fender and gibsons were in the 70s right, right? Yeah. it's why everyone cut um battery compartments into the back of them and fitted emgs right <laughs> yeah and and uh and of course once you get priced out of the 50s and 60s era well then people start buying 70s and 80s and so now those guitars are priced out of range of most people and and the same thing will happen with with effects and amps and and everything it's like you said it's it's a steady progression up uh i don't think the prices are ever gonna really go down no sadly sadly not well well we see but dear listener there's my fair warning now's the time get involved in that in that sort of thing. Yeah. Now, after um, after Brad and I finish this uh, podcast, we're going to head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash guitar nerds, where each week we deal with a question of the week. We answer questions from the Guitar Nerds Facebook group, uh, Guitar Nerds group on Facebook, if uh, you want to find it. If you're not already a member, dear listener, do join. I put together a few questions that I found that I thought might be good for us to talk about, Brad, when we get onto the Patreon Phil Radomski is asking for opinions on the best Ampless rig pedal. I know that's something we've spoken about before, but it might be nice to get some fresh input from you on that. Brandon Ivey's been talking about gear horror stories, so maybe we could delve into that a little bit. And Gavin Gates, maybe we've spoken about this a little bit already, but Gavin Gates um, was uh, uh, calling out his favourite home amplifier his favorite house amp for doing everything around the home so maybe we could talk a little bit about that potentially we All will right. we will see we will see when we when we get there now this uh this week brad i got for the first time ever in my life i bought a boss cs2 um i could have ever- sworn you had one of those before I- but I, I did no, I, I never did. It was something I think I've always raved about them being the best, but actually never owned them. I think uh, um, I've had lots. I mean, I've had lots and lots of other compressors, but I've been using the the Boss BC One X for the for the longest time, and it's great. And I got talked into this whole multi band compression thing that bass players are obsessed with at the moment, and I guess guitarists are like. But the whole idea that a multiband compressor can compress all your different frequencies at different rates, and therefore it can apply the correct amount of compression to all those different areas, making an even sound so nothing ends up being overly squashed or under squashed, as as it obviously is with a with a simple with a simple compressor. The CS2 is just a cat. 
characterful compressor. It doesn't do the job properly. Obviously, you're over squashing your low end in order to get the correct sort of zingy high notes. But that sound in itself is very musical. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I would recommend I would recommend anyone buying a CS2. I have I have had lots and lots of compressors. I've never heard a compressor like this. It sounds very different, very very lively, but still incredibly musical and usable i do find normally if you want to go crazy on a compressor what you do is sacrifice its actual application to being used in a song the cs2 seems to find some way of magically uh well i say that i haven't actually used it in a band setting yet but i've just been plugging it in playing it and being like this is the best sound ever i i I think it's (laughs) immediately going on my board i'm never gonna Take it off. How how do you feel about compression? Well, you probably noticed on my list of of pedals, I I didn't list a compressor. Mm. I don't have one. Not because not because I'm opposed to them. I just I really haven't found one that I really liked. I I've been right. mulling over the pulp and peel for the last kind of uh, hemming and hawing about picking up one of those. Over the, it is a great compressor, but um, the that new Corey Wong compressor really kind of caught my eye just in the last uh, week or so since they announced it it's a, it's a little pricey what? for what i would it, really I, use I, it for how, um, how much was it in, in oh, us i didn't see a price on it yet. i think it's like 350 bucks yeah. something oh, like that's that a, that is a chunk yeah that yeah. is a chunk for something that um uh I, you know I understand if you're a Corey Wong type of player, it's probably an always on (laughs) thing. So for, you know, 350 bucks for an always on pedal is you get your money's worth. Right. But for me, I don't know that, that I would. So I don't know. That's the debate. Um, Right. Where, you know, 150 bucks, I I would have ordered it. Um, But I'm still mulling that one over. I like the feature set. I like the way it sounds. Um. But it's just wrestling. It's difficult to tell with the demo with Corey Wong because he's so bloody good. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, I, there's been so many, I mean, you guys have had the experience with these pedals that, uh, you, uh, the demo is incredible and then you get it and you put it on your, and then you're like, okay, what now? Like you're trying to get a sound out of it that works for you and you just can't do it. Um, uh, because yeah. the, the quirkier, the pedal, um, sort of the more, uh, it becomes an individual thing and it just may not fit the type of playing you do. You know, some of those, uh, you know, I don't know, Empress pedals or some of those really obscure, uh, what's the one that one gear of the year a few years back. (laughs) What the, the Empress was it the, uh, like a Zon or something or the, yeah, the Zoya. Zoya. Yeah. 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 Like (laughs) that's, I would love to play with one, but I don't know that I could ever really, get anything usable out of it for me from my style of playing it's just you know sure there's definitely with those sorts of things there's a big learning curve like you have it with like the poly bebo and the and the zoya alike um it because it's they're so very technical because it's it's about you completing a connection it's about you saying well i want this input to connect to this uh input of the next pedal and then go maybe run in parallel and then that runs into a a couple of effects in series here and and it's not just saying yes i want to drive followed by a delay you're choosing everything about where they go and you have to make the connection Mm -hmm. so you can't just drop a delay onto the zoya you have to say that that button is now a delay and then you have to connect it to an input and an output 
And I know that seems like relatively simple now. I'm just describing it. But for me, that was too much. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear you. It's, there's just some things that just don't orient themselves to your particular disposition, you know? Um, and you know, I'm, my guitar tone is closer to, uh, or my ideal guitar tone is, you know, it's closer to an Angus Young than it is to, uh, uh, I don't know, a Corey Wong or something, you know, um, or, or something that's, it's a bit more, more esoteric, and funky. probably not the right choice, but you know, I'm just more of a straightforward kind of player. Um, sure, sure. So, I, I, well, as much as I would love to play with some of those pedals, I don't know that they they would be the greatest bang for the buck, so to speak. For uh, me. I talk myself into them, and then you know, I, I still, you know, but my <laughs> guitar pedal board has a <laughs> has a um, an analog delay and a drive on it. <laughs> That's. Uh, yeah, that's it. But um, we we should definitely talk about the topic of the week, which I have done a great job again, dear listener, once again. And and Rob, I'm sorry, once again, of leaving it very late. But I do want to talk about it anyway. Let's talk about uh, – Rob, Rob wanted to talk about the evolution of guitar gear from analog to digital, including the advantages and disadvantages of each. But I kind of feel like it's gone analog to digital to analog to digital. And now maybe we're seeing a rise in analog again. There's been, as we said at the start of the podcast, as, as you said at the start of the podcast, Brad, it comes in, it's a spiral. Uh, trends are a spiral. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, maybe this is a, a naive answer, but I, I think, uh, why can't we all just get along? Why can't we have both? You know, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know that. I think the best is when you, when you're kind of mixing and matching of, of, of both. Um, I think the, just find the tools that work best for you and don't worry so much about whether it's analog or digital, just what, you know, what fits your style of playing and almost even more so your style of, uh, or your approach to use, you know, if you're not the kind of person inclined to get in the weeds in programming things, then don't get pedals, you know, don't go down the route of, uh, of those kind of, kind of things. I'm just, you know, I've, I've played with some of that, that stuff, not, not recently. Cause I pretty much figured out that, um, I, what I wanted was convenience. You know, I wanted to be able to roll right. into a gig with a modeling amp and a floorboard for it and have all my songs, programs and tones programmed and be able to, but, um, it never really worked out that way because I was always going back and tweaking and changing. Um, and that's it, isn't it? It's that option paralysis that, um, yeah. that digital gear creates by, cause that's the, that's the selling point of it, isn't it? Is that look at all these things that this can do. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, in a small form factor, as opposed to the one thing that your massive tube amp can do. And that one thing that that one drive pedal you take can do, you know, it's, it's about, um, it's, it's about giving people lots of options, but I do think maybe we're moving into this hybrid time, where we're getting a bit of both we 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 see the way th- things like i mean yes of course i'm plugging this product the boss ms3 a digital multi-effects processor that allows you to include additional real world pedals into that setup and then make the most out of both of those things and certainly even when you think about the the helix range the line six helix range all the gt 
Core and GT1000 range by Boss, they all have effects loops on there so that you can introduce additional pedals and then control them via the the unit itself. And I I, th- I think I think things like Kemper are still encouraging you to use real world, like like to use a hybrid mm-hmm. of those things to use effects. And Kemper, I kind of I got a soft spot for them because at least they tried to make their product look in some way cool and retro. It does look cool. <laughs> A Kemper yeah. looks cool. Um, yeah, exactly. But it's it's just it's way more than than what I need for what I do. Um, right. That's not a knock at all against the against it. It's just you know, I when in doubt, I prefer to keep things simple. Sure. <laughs> and, um, sure. The the less the less thing that can go wrong on a gig because things will always go wrong on a gig. Um. And uh, I, I just rather keep it as simple as possible. Have as many pedals as you need, and not one more. Right. Yes. Yes. That's uh, that. That that those are good words to live by. The actually the the other product that I just thought of that's that's an absolute blending of those two things is surely the um, the Victory amps, the V seven range. Mm-hmm. Um, like a a valve preamp loaded digital power section that you can run with a cab sim with a two notes loaded cab sim into the front of house you know you talk about ease this is this is great i'm still getting valves i've still got valve tone i've still it, the one i've got is the copper so it's a vox amplifier that i can now run to front of house i don't have to lug around a heavy ac15 i've still got essentially those tones it can go on a pedal board with a bunch of other real world effects running into it and it even has a switchable tremolo on the front of it as well which is uh, uh you know super handy but they're not you know they're not doing anything with screens they're not making it digital i like this this is a progression someone's someone's thought about the fact that convenience seems to be where we're headed and has tried to introduce classic tones and classic features into that. And I guess the same could be said of the Black Star St. James as well. You know, super lightweight valve head, valve amp. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that, that changed or cemented maybe my, my thinking was that um, a few years back... I I had I had an was in an original band for a while and and uh, that went as far as it went and then kind of petered out and then after that I didn't, didn't really do that much and I kind of got roped into hosting uh, like a monthly jam night it was like a kind of like an open mic but it was multiple players so there was me a bass player and a drummer and then whoever showed up uh, and w- it was just a total free for all and. We, that sounds awesome. Uh, it could be. Sometimes you'd really get a surprise of someone just who you never met who's just a real talent. And sometimes you've right. got people who couldn't play and couldn't sing, and it was a little tough. <laughs> but um, talk about thinking on your feet. And you never knew what songs they were going to pull out of a hat. And that really steered me towards having stuff that I could tweak with a knob. Because when right. someone walks up on a stage and says, hey, do you know x uh you know you've got to find that tone and you can't be yeah "Yeah, sure let me drill down in my menu screen (laughs) give me five minutes to program that you know you got to be able to get 
you know, a reverb or a delay or a distorted sound or whatever it is, you got to be able to just pull it out of your hat pretty quickly and have it work. And so that really helped push me much more towards just physical knobs that I can turn. And again, the less amount of knobs, the better. It doesn't have to be exact, but I got to I got to be able to dial in a tone that's close enough to, to work. And I think the expression dial in really means something as opposed to, you know, browsing through menus and trying to find stuff. You just being able to turn a knob, a tone knob or whatever, bass treble knob or something just really made life uh, much easier for that particular gig. But it kind of changed my way of thinking or at least pushed me further down that road of like, you know what, that's that's where I'm most comfortable is with physical knobs rather than menu screens. You know, if I'm sitting at home and I'm recording and programming, you got all the time in the world to do that stuff. But if you're, Hmm. you know, if you're trying to play with other people, you you got to be considerate of their time and the audience's time and and (laughs) just be able to get to the next song in a reasonable amount of time. Did you find that um, that there was a guitar that was especially well suited to that? Like having to on the fly be able to do, you know, like things in different genres and stuff like that. Did you find there was an instrument well, that lent um, itself better, as well as having a pedal board that was general purpose? I I would always bring at least three guitars, um, and uh, I would typically mix them up between single coils and humbuckers, but. Other than that, it was just which whichever guitars I felt like pulling off my 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 guitar rack and bringing in. Um, probably not a surprise. The Telecaster was kind of always the the go to, the one I felt the safest with. Here's another thing that that um, <laughs> have you ever met anyone who liked those Tronicle Robo tuners? Because I do. Wow. I have wow. three guitars <laughs> with uh, with those robo tuners on them. That telly behind me there has them. And again, doing that gig was was kind of uh, 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 critical to that because sometimes people would want to do something in open G or open D and just being able to bang, I could press a button oh, and the you, guitar you saved them all you saved like popular tunings yeah on the, well it has a lot of them already in there um right. so you just have to remember what button to press um so um yeah i'm i'm one of the few <laughs> who wow. actually like those things i know you guys hated them <laughs> hated them we, I t- I, the reason we hated them was because the ones you know, i'm sure that it's a great brand and obviously they you know they made something that's worked very well for you but certainly the ones that gibson were supplying more often than not bear in mind people were we were trying to talk a whole like any customer looking looking to buy a gibson 2015 gibsons all had them right and so it was 2013 wasn't it 20 yeah something like that 2013 i thought well, maybe 2015 i can't remember no 2013 was a good year it was 2015 all 2015 gibsons had them and so anyone interested in the gibson we had to try and talk into these tronicle tuners so we had to demonstrate just how easy they were and I, like i remember i remember doing it once and being like yeah you know it's as easy as this and pressing it and it wound one of the strings off completely (laughs) uh, i mean you know it could have been user error but nonetheless it was they more 
there were more than one example of them being embarrassing to try and show someone how they worked and they were sure. supposed to be an improvement so for that for that reason and the fall in matt j mark my commission on gibson instruments that year uh we we were i get it and it was a big mistake for them to force it down people's throats which is what it felt like i think for for most people um never never a good idea um gibson was a mess during that period and it's just one of many dumb moves but um you know having the choice to have them i wouldn't ever put them on every guitar but to have a couple of guitars that have that so that if you need to change a tuning pretty quickly you you can do it um, for the application that you had them for is right. actually kind of ideal yeah exactly right because someone c- would come in and say yeah can, you know i want to play a blues in g and okay well you know i can with a button be an open G tuning, play a little slide. Exactly. Uh, you don't have to mess around just tuning. You can still sort of, you, you know, you can still hold the conversation with them, work out what you're going to do and just have to worry about pressing a button and then being ready to go right. without having to sort of step away from the conversation and concentrate on working out, right? you know, retuning. Yep. So I can see that, that, that I, I'll, you know, I'll allow it. That's, uh, <laughs> I can uh, get well, you know, it I think there, application. it's, there's, you, the four of you guys, there were a f- few things that you were always in agreement on. Um, probably not <laughs> yeah. that many, but that was definitely one that, uh, that, so I'm, I'm here to speak up for the, the rarefied few that actually don't mind a Tronicle or two. Wow. Okay. Wow. There we, there we go. I, I, Brad, I don't think I've ever met anyone who's liked them. No, I, I, I'm, I'm glad that there's, there's hot someone take. out there for them. That's good. <laughs> there's your hot take. Maybe I need to, I bet I can get one for very cheap. If you can find one where someone hasn't ripped them off and replaced them with something else already, but oh, maybe we used maybe to be able to be find them on, uh, on eBay pretty cheap because that's exactly what people would do. They'd buy their Gibson. The first thing they'd do, they would take those stupid things off and put a set of Grovers or something on. Um, so you could pick them up fairly, fairly cheap. Um, yeah, I think yeah. it was. Uh, I think it was over here. It was Andertons that started selling like you got a free set of Grovers with every <laughs> purchase of a Gibson. I think that was their. Uh, <laughs> that's how they got around it. Yeah, that's the new Coke of the guitar world. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? It's just a decision that, yeah, was not well thought yeah. through. But no, exactly. Well, well. Anyway, Brad and dear listener, we we have come up to the end of this week's episode of Guitar Nerds. So Brad and I are going to head over to Patreon.com forward slash Guitar Nerds. We're going to record an extra half hour where we're going to talk about some of the questions. Um, from the uh, from the Facebook group, from the Guitar Nerds group. If you'd like to get in touch with us to ask any questions or for any reason at all, maybe you've got a lead on some old Gaiatone micro pedals. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm all about that at the moment. But you can do DM us on any of the social medias or email us at info at guitarnerds.net. Um, we're heading over to Patreon, so you can join us there, patreon.com forward slash guitar nerds. It's got all the info on how to sign sign up and support our charming community. Uh, you can do that for as little as a dollar a month. Brad, how can people get hold of you? Well, you can listen to the podcast on lovethatsongpodcast.com. You can email me at lovethatsongpodcast at gmail.com or just look for the show on uh, your favorite podcast app. We're on there. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, Brad, it's been fantastic. Well, we've got another podcast to to, to do now, so uh, so we're going to go do that. Dear listener, you've been lovely. We've been the Guitar Nerds. Farewell. Thanks, everyone. 
When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.